If there was ever a time in our lives when many of us may have to think about reinventing ourselves, that time may be now, all because of COVID-19. Hello everyone and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz and I am honored to have joining me today a woman whom the New York Times has described as, quote, an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. Dory Clark, welcome to my podcast. Liz, thank you so much. I am so honored by your intro and especially your intonation. It's almost like you were on TV or something. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. <laughs> and That's you fantastic. have been on TV and been a journalist too, which we're all going to get to all of that. But right now you are considered a marketing strategist and branding expert. You're an entrepreneur. You're an executive coach. You teach at Duke University you are the author of three books, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which I have to say was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. And don't you have a fourth one coming out now? I just signed a deal for a fourth one. So it'll take a little while to wind its way through the publishing process, but yes, it is, it is on the way. Wow, congratulations. That is fantastic. Dora, you've talked a lot about adaptability as a skill and that if we have that, we can make any transition regardless of what is going on in the outside world. How much more important is being adaptable today? Well, we're, we're definitely seeing evidence of, of the value of adaptability all around us. Ultimately, with the, the pandemic, which is something that pretty much no one expected. I mean, theoretically, one could have predicted it in the sense that, you know, there have been horror movies written about it every decade or so, uh, in the same way that there are horror movies about asteroids hitting Earth and things like that. Uh, but in general, uh, in the normal course of events, people couldn't have predicted it. There's always something, right? When times are good, it pays to double down and to become more efficient and to do more of the one thing, to specialize more so you can maximize the value of that. And that makes sense. But the problem comes from the fact that you almost get too optimized. You almost get too efficient, as we've seen with supply chains. The minute something disrupts it, even something relatively small, there is a cascade of huge problems. And so in our careers, we're seeing more and more the importance of being able to be adaptable enough so that we can pivot quickly, uh, respond quickly, and be a little bit more of a generalist, have a few more redundancies built into the system so that we are resilient to shocks. Well, given the world we are living in right now, and there is so much uncertainty, can you give us any tips or ideas of how we can prepare ourselves to future-proof our careers. And you just touched on it a little bit there, but can you give us a couple of additional things to think about? Well, I think that there's a couple of key points, Liz. The first one is that I think that for most professionals, it is really important to think about, first of all, creating multiple income streams in your business. This is something that I learned myself firsthand. You were alluding to this. I was a print reporter years ago. That's how I started my career and I was laid off from my job, it was very early in my career. And I was just struck with this realization that, oh, wait, I went from having 100% of my income all set to having suddenly, the, literally the next day, 0% of my income. And I realized that was a very, very fragile position to be in. 
And so I think that for most professionals, even ones who are very happy with their day job and don't want to do anything different, it's useful to start thinking about or laying the groundwork for other things that you could do if you ever wanted or needed to. And that could be a little coaching on the side. It could be starting a blog or a podcast like you have just to give yourself options. And I think that's a pretty wise move for all of us. At a minimum, it gives you additional contacts or additional professional skills that you're flexing. So it it does have that value regardless. But I think another thing that we can consider when it comes to future-proofing our career is to also start to ask yourself, what skills can you build or what things can you do that might be counter-cyclical? What I mean by counter-cyclical is there are, are certain elements that seem to operate in different ways. It's kind of like stocks and bonds, right? For instance, part of my own career is that I used to do a lot of keynote speaking and I would travel around for that. And that is a great industry to be part of in boom times because companies love to spend on conferences. They love to fly in speakers. It's a great living. But I didn't know a pandemic was coming, but I did know that historically, whenever there's been a recession, conferences and marketing expenses like that are pretty much the first thing to be cut. As my counter-cyclical response, I started about six years ago creating online courses that I could sell to individual professionals. And that is something that when times are tough, people actually buy more of because they start to say, oh, wait, I really need to invest in my professional development. You have different elements to balance things out in your own career portfolio, depending on the economic circumstances around you. All great advice there, Dory. Thank you. You talked about being that journalist, and I know that you were laid off. You talked about that the day before 9-11. And as someone who covered that story extensively, I can't even imagine as a journalist what that time was like for you. Can you share with us what you went through knowing that suddenly you couldn't cover that story? It was a crazy thing to to be part of. I mean, it was the the biggest news story it felt like ever, and and to essentially be on the sidelines was incredibly frustrating. I knew that it would have been an all hands on deck situation where you were rolling up your sleeves and, and diving in, but I wasn't about to march back into the office the day after they told me to go away. <laughs> so uh, so yes, it was very frustrating for me. Also, certainly there was a little bit of Schadenfreude where, you know, I I felt like, you know, these stupid effing people, like if they had waited one more day, then they could have had another reporter. Fine, take that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But mostly I wished that I were still there and I wished that I could be working on on Did you always want to become a journalist when you were growing up? Was that sort of your, your passion, your dream? I like to say, Liz, that basically every career that interested me when I was young was one that has been massively disrupted in the past 20 years. So I was interested in all kinds of things. It was kind of, you know, it was around ideas. It was around storytelling. So the things that I wanted to do, I wanted to possibly be a reporter. I possibly wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. I possibly wanted to be a university professor, possibly wanted to write books. You know, the amazing thing is that I've been able to do all of those things, which is fantastic. I was just about to say, you're doing all of those things. <laughs> yes. The, the, other, the other side of the coin, which I think is so interesting about the modern economy, is that basically none of them pay any money anymore. <laughs> so you can do them all, you just don't earn money from them, which is fascinating. And so the challenge, I think, of the modern economy is that 
you know, I mean, the truth is in the post-war economic expansion, people were able to be a little bit passive. You know, I, I won't say lazy, although there is kind of a little bit of a laziness of just like, I got a job and then people gave me money for the job. It's sort of basic. What we have to do now is sort of second order thinking of, okay, you can do this thing. You're not going to make any money from this thing. How do you make money? One of the things that I talk about in my book, Entrepreneurial You, is the fact that we have shifted from making money from something in the form of a salary to making money because of something. So how do you build your brand or your reputation through doing those things in such a way that you can monetize on the back end? Excellent. Well, you talked about some of the things that you've done, directing a documentary film, you're you know, a professor at Duke, you're writing books. And may I also add in there, you have produced a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album, you're a Broadway investor, and you are doing something with musical theater. How do you find the time to do all of this, Dory? Oh, thank you, Liz. Well, one of the things that I'm really a believer in, you know, a number of years ago, Google got a lot of press about their so-called 20% time, where they were encouraging their employees to spend 20% of their time on sort of creative pursuits, things that weren't directly tied to performing their job duties. Of course, recent reports have said that that's a little bit more hypothetical. I mean, Google, like a lot of places, has a high-performance culture where uh, 20% time in air quotes, it's sort of like 120% time, and then you can, you can mess around once everything else is done. But nonetheless, as an entrepreneur, one of the benefits that comes with that is the fact that I, I really do have the ability to allocate my time. I have been pretty religious about allocating 20% time. There's things that I'm interested in that I have decided are worth making small bets on. In my case, I have always been interested in academia and higher ed. So one of the things that I am doing is I am serving on a university board, the board for Mary Baldwin University, which is where I actually started my academic career in their early college entrance program. So it's and an exceptionally gifted program. I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> At age 14, you went there. Go on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's, it's always like two pretentious to, to actually name, but thank you for doing that. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, my job. <laughs> and then also musical theater was something that I was interested in. And so I made a commitment that I was just going to allocate a certain percentage of my time to experimenting with that and really trying to learn it. Four years ago, I decided I wanted to go all in on it. And I really tried to be systematic. I ended up hiring a coach. I actually literally hired a musical theater coach to help train me because I had never done it before. I applied to a program, which is, you know, kind of a prestigious training program. And I did not get in the first time, but I applied again and I got in the second time. And so for the past two years, I have been doing this program and learning, hopefully well, uh, to write musical theater. I love that. What's fascinating, I think, is that some people might hear some of those career paths and reinvention chapters that you have had for yourself and not think that there's a clear path from one to the other. And one of the things I love working on with people is connecting those themes and connecting those patterns and connecting all those dots. But what advice can you give people to get past what I'm going to call that psychological limitation that they put on themselves, that they think that there, there is or there must be some path from one chapter to the next chapter in their lives. That's just not the world we live in today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, famously, of course, Steve Jobs in his Stanford commencement address talked about, you know, we, we can only connect the dots looking backwards, which I think is very true. 
But I, I think in general, the pandemic more than anything has hopefully shown us out of all the lessons it's teaching that things like five-year plans, 10-year plans, possibly even one-year plans are just bogus. I mean, you know, I, I know what I was going to be doing in April, Liz. I was taking a vacation to Cairo. I was going to be teaching at a business school in Russia. I was going to be speaking at a conference in Amelia Island. I was going to be speaking at an event in Dallas. Well, guess what? I did zero of that. They were all canceled. They were all, you know, rescheduled or scrubbed. And I spent my April in a very, very different way. We need to realize that what we can do is create a hypothesis. We can move toward that hypothesis, but we also have to be ready to move in a different direction. And we also have to realize that as we are doing things and as we are building skills, those skills are far more transferable than we might imagine. We just have to be willing to embrace that. I agree. I think people tend to downplay their experiences and and they don't feel, well, it's not the right experience for that particular job or that career path, when in actuality, there is so much that is transferable. Yes, it's, it's so true. One story that I especially love from my first book, Reinventing You, is about this woman named Lisa, who had spent literally a decade of her life studying to be a law professor. She'd gotten her JD, and then she got her doctorate in the study of law because she knew she wanted to be a law professor, only... Upon, upon the eve of her graduation, practically, to discover, oh God, I don't want to be a law professor. And a lot of people would look at that and say, oh, what a waste. That's so terrible. She just blew 10 years of her life. But she was smarter than that. And she said, you know what? I might not want to be a law professor, but I have learned a lot of skills along the way that I actually can apply. And so she ended up starting her own business and she took the oral argumentation and persuasion and speaking skills she had learned studying to be an attorney, and she took the language skills that she had learned in studying for her doctorate, and she applied them to what her real passion was, which was wine, and she was able to start a very unique business working with foreign vintners to help them import their products into the U.S. Gotta love that. <laughs> That's a great reinvention. You and I have both done informational interviews to move on to next chapters, and we both know how important they are. Share with our listeners how to do that and why perhaps it matters even more today. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of professionals often assume that an informational interview is like maybe a thing that kids do. Like, oh, they do that in college. Like, you know, oh, wise person, tell me what your job is like. Uh, but but the, the truth is, it is extremely useful for for almost anyone. And I think you know, if, if you're hung up on the, t the term informational interview, I mean, really all it is, is just, okay, go out with somebody, you know, either have a Zoom call or take them to lunch when people can do that or, or what have you, and just say, okay, I want to learn about your life. Can you tell me about your life? And tell me, tell me what your job is really like. For the vast majority of people, that's actually a lovely question. People love talking about themselves. So if you are interested, you know, you, you don't want to ask dumb questions, obviously. Like, Liz, so you, you have a coaching and consulting business. What's it like to have that business? I mean, you, you don't know where to go with that. That's, it's like the boring, dumb person hasn't researched question. But if you can actually ask thoughtful, nuanced questions that show that you've done some research, you've done some homework about the person, first of all, they appreciate it because it's a sign of respect. But secondly, I think the most important thing that we can do 
it is all too easy to ask confirmatory questions that will give us the answers we want. Oh, Liz, what's amazing about your life? Tell me how great it is. Well, you know, you're, you're going to get one side of it. What you often want to do if you're stress testing the idea of going into a certain company or a certain profession, get the down and dirty. Liz, what's the hardest part about your job? What's, what's the thing you like least? What was the biggest surprise to you? What would you caution people against? You, know, you want to know that so you can make a really informed choice. Excellent advice. And you talked about your background a little bit, and I am curious about one of the things that I learned about you as well, which is that you received a Master's of Theological Studies from Harvard Divinity School. What did you want to do with that degree, if anything? Well, originally, my speaking of hypotheses, my hypothesis yes. was that I wanted to have a career in academia. I went on to get this master's degree, and I assumed that I would get a doctorate afterwards. I did, in fact, apply for doctoral programs afterwards, and I ended up getting turned down by all of them. I had to pivot very fast. I, I didn't have a plan B. Literally, I thought, okay, clearly I'm going to get into at least one, so I'm going to become an academic. But I got into zero, and so therefore I had to come up with something else. And so journalism was my very, very rapid fire plan B, because I thought, okay, what is another profession that involves writing and speaking and asking people questions and thinking about things? You have pivoted so many times, and I love that you've connected all of those dots along the way. It's really fantastic. Besides your books, you are an incredibly prolific writer. You are in Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Time Magazine. You are on LinkedIn, often sharing wonderful free content I might share with everybody, free webinars on all kinds of topics. What does it mean to you today, Dory? to live your best life. And what advice would you have for our listeners about how to reinvent themselves so they too can live their best life? What a lovely question, Liz, that's great. I would say in terms of living your best life, the thing that in general I, I think is probably most fulfilling for people is feeling like you are making a contribution that only you can make. It feels a little, a little boring or it makes you feel a little bit like a robot if you're performing some task that, oh gosh, you know, li literally anybody with a heartbeat and two hands could, could do this thing. But if you are able to tap into unique skills or abilities that you have, that you've cultivated or something that leverages experiences that you have had, I think that that is quite meaningful because it means that, that you are adding something to the world that wouldn't be there otherwise. For me, I feel excited about the work that I do because a lot of it, whether it's my writing or my speaking or the coaching work or the uh, online course and community that I, I run, the Recognize Expert community, what it's aimed at is really helping people or in some cases companies that I work for figure out how to break through, how to get their ideas heard in a very noisy and crowded world. That is meaningful for me, first of all, because I had to really scrap to learn it myself by trial and error. And I like to save other people the trouble, essentially. We thank but, you for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But also because, you know, it's, it's very fulfilling to see smart people with good ideas be able to get them heard. There's nothing worse than a great idea that essentially gets wasted because nobody ever hears about it or nobody ever knows about it. And so if you can help aid in that, 
then I think that's quite meaningful. So I think for other folks, a question that they can ask as they think about their own reinvention journey is what are the things that you have learned or that you, the, the knowledge that you uniquely have had to, to really dive into or the skills that you've been able to leverage and how can you gift them in some way to other people? Fantastic. If you'd like to learn more about Dory or her books or any of her online course offerings or follow her on social media, she's all over the place, including LinkedIn, as I just mentioned. I encourage you to go to doryclark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com, doryclark.com. Dory, thank you so much for not only sharing your expertise with us today, but just having some fun and sharing great conversation. We certainly need your voice more than ever right now in this world. Liz, I appreciate it so much. I'll just mention one other thing, if it's, if it's okay, since we're talking about reinvention. Absolutely. Thank you. I have a free resource that might be helpful to people if they're actually in the throes of reinvention or they're contemplating it, uh, which is a reinvention self-assessment. And folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash reinvent. Fantastic. And I was going to suggest to people that if they are in this position themselves of thinking they want to reinvent or they know someone that is thinking about reinventing themselves, first of all, share this podcast with them, go to your website, reach out to either of us because we both have reinvented ourselves many times now. And we are certainly happy to help people do the same thing. And I know you are. And I love that self-assessment test. I've taken a peek at it myself. (laughs) Dory, thanks again for joining me today. I really appreciate it. What a treat, Liz. Thanks. And until next time, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. Be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and fast twitch media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.